Welcome to the Real Birth Podcast, the show where real parents share real birth stories and get really honest about how it went. You might be a first-time expectant parent, or on your eighth baby. Perhaps you're a birth worker, or maybe you just love learning about birth. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. This podcast aims to educate and empower listeners through the real stories of mums and dads. I'm Lucy Hill. I'm a doula, a mum of a toddler, and a complete birth nerd. Join me as I invite all kinds of parents to share their stories of pregnancy, birth, and beyond. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. In case you haven't already heard... This series, the show is sponsored by Bridge House Pilates, who are offering an exclusive 20% discount off of their online on-demand postnatal Pilates course. Try saying that after you've had a drink. The six weeks Pilates program is taught by Megan, who is just absolutely lovely. Being from Texas originally, I am a little bit obsessed with her accent. Designed to fit around your life as a busy new parent help to rebuild strength after birth however your baby came into the world through bite-sized exercises and relaxation videos all available from the comfort of home and whenever you finally get a moment to yourself you can find the link to bridge house pilates course on our social media in the show notes or by going to bridgehousepilates.com and using the code realbirth20 for 20 percent off hi everyone welcome back to the real birth podcast I am genuinely so excited to be sharing this episode with you. This week I'm speaking to Cassie, who had her baby boy using a surrogate. When she was just 27 years old, Cassie was diagnosed with cervical cancer, the treatment for which meant that she would be thrown into an early menopause and would not be able to become pregnant or carry a baby herself. Cassie was able to undergo an IVF round before starting chemo and radiation, which allowed her to create embryos to keep on ice for when she was ready to start the search for a surrogate. I am really thrilled to be sharing the story of surrogacy on the podcast today. I particularly love how clearly Cassie explains the logistical process of how somebody might go about starting this journey of using a surrogate and how she ended up choosing hers. I think that you will agree after hearing her share her experience that she is a real inspiration to anyone facing the prospect of surrogacy or infertility after cancer. I'll let Cassie share her full journey with you all. It is an amazing episode and I really hope you enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Cassie. It's really, really lovely to have you um, with us today. Thank you so much for agreeing to share your story. I know you've got your little one with you at the moment. So if we hear any any kind of lovely tiny person noises, that's what that is. Um, Before we kind of go ahead and talk about your uh, story of having your child, would you like to just tell us a little bit about who you are and where you live and a little bit about you? Yeah, of course. Um, so Cassie, I'm originally from Bath. Yeah, beauty therapist, yeah. self-employed, that kind of thing. Um, what I usually like to ask people is kind of how the journey towards becoming a parent looked like for you. Um, and was that something that you had thought about for a while that you wanted to have children? Yeah, so I mean, I've always seen myself having a family. And then when I met my boyfriend, Jack, which was seven years ago now um we spoke about children one day and you know you just speak in general about it um and then we always said we would like a big family and yeah kind of then that was left at that but I wasn't desperate for children like I wasn't one of these people who was like I need a child now but I was like one day I want my own family that's how I always felt really 
um, after me and my boyfriend had been together for two years, I got diagnosed with cervical cancer. And then at that point, they said I would have to go undergo radical chemotherapy and radiotherapy and a treatment called brachytherapy, which is internal radiotherapy, which that process um, completely kills my fertility. And at that point, I wasn't ready for a child, but I was like, I need to make sure I can have one eventually one day. That's a lot um, to think about as well, though, isn't it? You mean, yeah. you just have this huge, I mean, was that something that was diagnosed on, off the back of a smear test? No. So I had my smear test when I was 25 and it came back clear. Wow. Um, and two years later, I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. Um, so when you get cervical cancer, they will look into all your smear tests. Obviously, being so young, I'd only had one. And it came back that there was cervical cancer on there. It was, all, it was always there. It was just missed. Um, so that was, obviously, that was hard. really hard. Um, hard to get my head around because I was like, this didn't need to happen. This could have been prevented massively. But it is what it is. You, you get on with it, don't you? Yeah, of course. And so you knew that you needed some treatment and that was going to have a huge impact on your future family decisions. Yeah. I imagine things needed to happen quite quickly. So was it yeah. very much, what were your <laughs> options? Literally, that I had no options. So my only option was go have IVF, freeze your embryos and you'll need a surrogate one day or adopt that was that was literally it so I think they told me my treatment plan on the Friday and then on the Monday they're like we've got you booked in at the fertility clinic so I had like two days to get my head around it that's getting your head around like two enormous things that are enormous in their own right oh yeah so like two weeks before that was when I got the initial diagnosis so within two weeks I've been like diagnosed with cancer told my facility's gone and that they might not actually ever work because everyone knows of IVF. There's not obviously a hundred percent chance of it working. So, wow. And when you have IVF, when you've got cancer, it um, you never get as many embryos because okay. your body. They they say they don't really know why, but it's like your body is fighting the cancer, so it's like you'd never get as many. Yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't <laughs> know whether you know in some cases maybe going and and actually the amount of time you have to dedicate to an IVF cycle about whether that is a concern you know do we let this carry on for x amount Mm. of weeks while we're doing the cycle was that something you had to think about yeah so I was quite stressed about that and so because I was like well is my cancer going to get worse in this time frame that because obviously you need at least three to four weeks to do IVF um obviously it was shorter because it wasn't implanting back in me they just had to like freeze them so it wasn't too bad so yeah it was something I was a bit stressed about I did keep saying to them is it going to get worse is it going to is because it was stage 2b when I got diagnosed um which was quite advanced because it had already spread into my lymph nodes yeah and then little things so I had to have um a pet scan okay so when, when you have a pet scan they um give you an injection or something that I can't remember what it was now, but they say you're not allowed to be near pregnant people, babies, because it's quite harmful. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm doing IVF. Like, is that going to damage the quality of my embryos? They're like, we don't know. I was like, well, no, <laughs> please find out. Um, 
So there's a lot of unknowns, I think, where I was so young and most yeah. people... I imagine well, that's not not happening every day with all, all their patients, right? It must no. be fairly unusual. Yeah. How, so you had your um, IVF cycle. Is that did they give you medicine basically to kind of hyperstimulate you to ovulate lots of eggs? Yeah. yeah. And then they took those, and then they were able to produce. And how many yeah. how many embryos did you manage to get from that cycle? When I went up to start my IVF, they said, oh, you're actually polycystic. So they're like, good thing with that is you will produce more um, eggs. But they're like, the quality isn't always as good. So I was like, oh, okay. Like at the time, didn't really think much of it. I was like, oh, it'd be all right. So when on the day, because obviously me and my partner, we'd only been together two years at this point. So I was like, I don't even know if we're going to survive as a couple through cancer, let alone infertility. So I was like, I need some eggs and embryos. So we didn't really know what to do until the day. So on the day, they collected 26, which they were like, that that is a lot. And I was like, oh, amazing. I was like, I'm going to have like 10 embryos. Like it's going to be, I have loads of children. Um, So we said, why don't we do six eggs and make 20 embryos? So five out of the six were fine for the eggs and then only two originally was embryos and I was like two they were like and that was day day five embryos and then they phoned me the next day saying you've got two day six embryos as well now so out of the 20 we only got four and I think that's crazy isn't it you sort of assume well we'll make these embryos and it's all really controlled and it'll all be fine yeah and actually two or four out of 20 feels feels like not a lot when you've and yeah actually you've you've produced a really chunking number of eggs there you yeah know, that's what everyone says actually that is amazing but can you, you can you imagine if the people that are producing like five and you think the odds there are crazy aren't they yeah so you had um you were able to freeze did you say four embryos then four embryos yeah okay they said right. they were like good quality ones like best quality I never know really what that means yeah they grade them don't they yeah so I just was like Mm. so I assume they put the best quality in first Um, yeah so I mean obviously in your case you knew that they were going to be on ice for a while I mean you briefly mentioned there about that conversation that you had to have with your partner that must have been a very intense weekend of yeah or or was it not was it just kind of no it it was in a sense like I can remember going back that after them telling me my treatment plan and we were like let's just get in bed and watch a Disney movie like let's not think about it and like everything was about children I was like oh I was like I just don't want to think about why is Disney so much about children I was like who knew Disney hits you so much harder when you're a parent it's like oh my god like Disney leave me alone um so yeah Jack is a very chilled, understanding person. And he was just like, yeah, absolutely. And he said straight away, he's like, if we ever do split up, he said, I would never stop you using my embryos. He's like, like our embryos, not mine. But obviously it's his sperm. He said, I would never take that away from you. So, yeah, that's really kind, isn't it? That's like, yeah, that's a real, that's a gift, it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And we had to sign things, say like if one of us died or... Like we could still use because like he was like if you pass away he's like I would still want to use your embryos for 
me and your family to have a part of you that's that's a huge thing to think about but yeah that you have to cover all those bases don't you yeah absolutely okay so then I assume you were able to then go ahead and have the treatment that you needed yeah so then I went ahead so I think so that was all through October and then in the November I ended up having oh I had a breast cancer scare among all of that I was up actually at the clinic, I something to do with the embryos, I can't remember, but they phoned me, the hospital, and they were like, we need you to come in, you've got a swollen lymph node in your breast. And I was like, oh God. And what it was, stupidly, I had my nipples pierced and one of them got infected. Well, I'm so really glad that? that it was that. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I've never said I'm glad you got a nipple piercing infection to anyone. I know, but I was. I was like thank god for that oh my christ that must have just been like another yeah another thing so how how long did your treatment take and at what point did you kind of get to a point where you were either told you were okay or kind of felt like you could move forward it's a long time so my my cancer treatment was fairly quick in the cancer world um so my chemo was every monday for five weeks and then i had radiotherapy every day of those five weeks and then I had yeah so it was very intense I assume because I was younger I was they they classed their patients as like you got your a they called me like an a star patient or, or something like that basically means like I was priority all the time um so one time they were like super busy they're like but you're don't worry you'll be down first so that I don't know that made me feel more anxious so I was like why why am I such a like I don't want to be an A star I know (laughs) I mean it's sort of like there's yeah A stars normally like oh I'm excelling but you don't really want to like excel at having cancer Cancer. um okay so that's quite an intense lot of treatment then yeah and like the day I had the chemo I still had to have radiotherapy so you have to have your chemo first then then your radiotherapy so that day would be like an eight-hour day of treatment. And because it's not just your chemo, because the chemo is so harsh on your body, you have to be pumped with, like, load of other stuff. And that's what takes so long. But it's great. It gave me a really good appetite. Hi. <laughs> and after, after your treatment, have you since needed to have any further treatment? or No, I was quite lucky. Um, obviously, other than my HRT, because I went into the menopause after... Mm-hmm. um I just I'm on HRT now um I had a lot of tests on my bladders and my bladders my bladder and my bowels because they were affected by the treatment um I used to get in a lot of pain after like all in my like abdomen area just where it was all scar tissue which it still is because the radiotherapy just causes scar tissue it was one of those things where I just kind of had to roll with it for a few years yes yeah what was it and at what point did you kind of think okay we've got these because they must always be in the back of your mind that you've got these little oh, embryos, embryos waiting for you somewhere yeah um, which um, you already asked yeah so what did what happened to make you think okay these these guys are waiting for me in the freezer um I'd like to do something <laughs> with them it still took quite a while so after the five weeks I then had um two weeks of the brachytherapy which is the internal radiotherapy and then then you have to wait them three months for the all clear 
but with the brachytherapy, they do MRI scans every time to make sure the placement's correct. So on the MRI scans, they did see that the tumor had completely gone, but they said with cancer, it can like almost swell up sometimes after the treatment. So it almost looks worse. So they were like, although this is a good sign, they're like, we can't say until three months later. Um, so that took over my head and I couldn't even think about embryos or anything like that for till that point. And then I'd done the whole counseling because I felt like I should have, but I, I took me a long time to like get to a place where I felt good. And also I was in denial about being menopausal. So I didn't go on HRT till later that year, which wasn't good for my head at all. Um, right. Yeah. And I just, I wasn't, thinking I was angry at everyone and I wasn't in a place and I, I joined a uh, charity called surrogacy UK which help you find surrogates yeah um, so when I joined them I was still in quite a bad place mm. from the cancer and I'm still quite angry about surrogacy yeah. I was yeah. still like I was still like I shouldn't be doing this I shouldn't well, be having to do this it's not something that you ever expect you're going to have to do I think from an outside perspective when you think about surrogacy mm. it's like you just if you're a young woman you know going about yeah. your life you yeah. just don't think that that's for you you know no. maybe you, you think that's somebody else's story yeah. watched it on friends a couple of times and was like, oh that was nice of that yeah <laughs> yeah or maybe it's you know, or maybe it's for same-sex couples who are using yeah. you know it, you just maybe have never thought about that in the context of your actual life no not at um, all so I can remember like reading up about it and just getting angry and being like, no, no. Then we went to a few, they're called uh, surrogacy socials. So it's just where you can meet other intended parents, get a bit of information and just leaving feeling really disheartened because it, a little bit in my head, I was like, I'm going to walk away with a surrogate. Obviously that was not going to happen, but I was just like, someone has to pity me. Like my story is so bad obviously everyone there this story is so bad and or everyone's desperate for a child at a surrogacy social so looking back I think it was too early for me to go well me and my partner we just yeah we hadn't got our head around cancer yet um so yeah then we just kind of switched off from surrogacy then for a couple of years didn't even think about it we had we knew we had our embryos and it was more everyone else going when are you going to use those embryos? I said, oh, yeah, just give me a healthy womb and I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> like, what the hell? It's yeah, not that it's interesting, actually, that even in your situation, you don't escape that thing oh. where people go, when are you having kids? Yeah. You know? No. Never oh, wow. escape it. Even, even when people know it's like as raw as that, people still say it now. When are you having the next one? Oh, yeah, because I can just carry my Oh, child. yeah, I'll click my fingers and... So frustrating. Yeah, even if they actually know all your situation, that's crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think that's completely understandable. It takes so long to process like big life things. And absolutely. And if you like you said, you had so little time at the beginning of your diagnosis, you know, mm. when you were first diagnosed to to actually do any of that processing. And people I speak to say you just you just roll with it you have to get on with it and you do what you have to do and then all of the big stuff comes later like all yeah. the processing the feelings yeah 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 absolutely it does it's so true yeah. 
So kind of by the time your head was in a good place for it, you were already aware of the surrogacy charities and stuff. Is that that how you started to build links and start looking for somebody quite seriously? Um, So I'm someone who's kind of like, right, let's just get this done. So I had already sent all the letters, joined the surrogacy thing. So although I wasn't mentally there, I was was there ready for when I was mentally. Um, So it was... Yeah, going to we went to a few more of those socials and yeah, nothing. It it just wasn't working for us at the time. And we used to speaking to some friends and load of friends offered and um which is lovely. Well, how do you feel that? because uh, I I imagine it's you either get the people who are you either get the people who are just like, oh, like, who don't ever say anything because that's not something they could never feel comfortable doing. Yeah. Or did you, yeah, have people come to you and say, I would love to do it for you? Or yeah. how do you feel that? And were you comfortable thinking about mm. having somebody that you were close to and that you knew? Or, yeah, that's yeah. a huge decision. It, it, so this is one of the biggest decisions. Like, I, at first, like I said, I was quite angry. And I was like, I don't know if I would... I always thought I might dislike my surrogate a bit, which sounds crazy now, but at the time, I didn't know. And I was like, will I resent them a bit because they're doing something I can't do? Like, they're carrying my child, like I should be carrying my child. And I was like, I feel like a friend would be too close to home. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, can, I like- can completely empathise in terms of that feeling of, am I going to be... Am I just going to feel like negativity towards them because like yeah. that, that's my job and you're taking it from me and it's my yeah. experience and yeah. So you came to the decision that a friend was going to be like too much. Yeah. Someone in my circle, because like we got quite good, um, a big friendship group. And I was just like, I don't want to be out for dinner or coffee with you. And someone goes, oh, congratulations. Like that's just going to be so hard for me. Well, that's what I thought anyway. And um, yeah, and I was just like, I, d- I just don't, I didn't know if I could put that on like a friend. And then I had friends, like one of my closest friends, bless her. She actually got upset because she's like, I can't do it for you because she said I couldn't forgive myself if it didn't work. And I was like, I don't expect you to even offer and she's like I know but I just need you to understand I was like I don't expect anyone to carry my child for me but I was like which meant a lot because she was like upset she didn't want to do it which is really oh, sweet actually that's, that's sweet it's like you're both like I, I don't want to do it I'm really sorry it's like I don't want you to do it I'm really sorry <laughs> it was really sweet but then um Jack's friend's wife offered and she said it quite early on and I was like I always said to Jack I said she would be perfect like and I know it doesn't matter the kind of mum she is but I've always loved the mum she is like she she's always been a mum that I've looked at and gone I would like to be like that one day like she does so much with her children and it doesn't like it's not always like cost loads of money it's just like the memories and I I love stuff like that and I was just like I always loved her as a mum and um she said once and her husband said to Jack as well oh like Becky would do it and we were like oh okay and then um it was said again later on and I was like Jack do you actually think she would and Jack was like I don't know he's like should I text her like see if she's serious so we did and she was like yeah absolutely and I was like oh 
Wow. So she had had her own children already. Yeah. Um, okay. So obviously was not going into it blind in terms of what she was going to be expected to do, like physically. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. That's incredible. I bet she was like, oh, that's a pretty big text to get. Like, <laughs> I know. I know. And I, like, it was so funny because like, we see them like, not, I'm not going to say we see them all the time, but we saw them like a lot. And then, but leading up to it, we were going out for dinner and every time we go out for dinner, I'd be so anxious to see them. And Jack was like, why are you anxious? And Becky would be like, so why are you anxious? I was like, I don't know. Like, what if, you, like, now I feel excited. And what if you just turn around and say, actually, I've changed my mind. I don't want to do it. Which she has every right to, obviously. Yeah, it's her it life. It's her life, her children's life, her husband's life is affecting everyone. It wasn't just her. And we, like, we kept being like, are you sure? But she's so yeah. chilled. And her husband's so chilled. They're just like, yeah. So how long between that initial yeah. chat of, oh, yeah, I think she's going to do this for us and actually starting the process? Like, how long do you give that to kind of make sure that everyone's definitely in? Well, normal circumstances, I think we, we would have done it a lot quicker, but we went into lockdown. Literally went out for the dinner to be like, yeah, let's do it. That what was it the Wednesday or whenever it was we went into the first lockdown and then she was still texting me like right what do you want me to do but I was just like not in a headspace then to figure it out and she had to become a member of Surrogacy UK the charity I was part of because they just they do all like the legal parts and they just make sure everything runs smoothly and also like the clinic wouldn't do it unless all that was sorted out so it actually was about so that was in the what when did we go into lockdown 20 it was 20. March 2020 yeah so then 2021 uh September was when we implanted him that's a pretty decent decent wait isn't it but and yeah, lots, yeah. lots of time for everyone to get their head around it as well absolutely um, so, so just in terms of I mean I'm sure myself and lots of other people probably don't actually know how this works so do you find your own clinic and you go to them and you say I have I have a surrogate we've both signed up to you know the right people the charity and then do they then require do the clinic then require lots of kind of legal documents from you to make sure that it's kind of legit and do you find your own lawyers how does it work the clinic was bath clinic because that's where my embryos were stored luckily they deal with surrogacy so we just stayed with them um not all clinics deal with surrogacy so we were lucky that we could just carry on there um no we didn't need a lawyer because we were part of surrogacy uk if we'd done it independently we would have needed to get lawyers and and it costs so much whereas um surrogacy uk they do they it's literally they just give you forms that you sign and it's obviously they sort it all so you know it's all right and then you just um send copies of that to the clinic and then they do load of blood work and they do their own paperwork as well but they work with surrogacy uk so they know they they know the process um and you get like uh this nurse who contacts me a lot to be like right we need this that so then i would just get it from surrogacy uk and send it over I don't think I would have been able to do it independently. There was too much to think about. I did I did go down that route and I phoned a lawyer and it was like so much money just for a letter. I was like, oh no. I was like, I'll just carry on, go through Surrogacy UK then. 
That's incredible that they offer that service. And was it something that you had to pay some money towards or was it a free service because it was a charity? So with Surrogacy UK, you have to join, you have to pay a join-in fee. Um, Becky didn't, so Becky was free, but me and Jack had to pay um, a join-in fee and that covered all of that. So we didn't have to pay anything else for the paperwork. But at the clinic, we had to pay. So if like a normal person is pregnant and you have like they have concerns and they do all the blood tests, you would just get that for free. We had to pay like thousands just for blood tests. And I actually refused. I was like, no, I'm not paying that. I was like, I'll go to my doctor's and just, which they actually let me do. So I was like, I was like, sorry, I'm "I'm not paying. And for blood tests for you to check that you were okay. Which you know, I don't, like, I don't know. I don't mean to like sound. I don't know. Maybe I'm being stupid here, but like, like your embryos have already been created, right? So your physical state and your blood work right now doesn't really matter. Absolutely, this is my I, and they the blood tests they're doing they had already done when we had the embryos created. Yeah, so surely those results should have been enough. Yeah, yeah. they were like they need to be done again. And you know, when you're just like, I yeah. have, I have heard of this, particularly in a, um, a same-sex couple I know of, where the the woman who wasn't carrying and giving birth to the baby still had to have all her blood stuff done, and it's like, but, but, but why? <laughs> like, it makes no sense. No, literally zero sense. Uh, yeah, we kept so, saying we were like, but the mm. embryo was made. Good for you for like sticking up for yourself a bit there and just saying no. Yeah, so I don't uh, normally, but I was like, that's too much money. <laughs> no, no time to be quiet and say yes. Sir. Yeah. Um, uh, so, the, so the main financial burden I imagine was through that clinic of actually the process of getting those embryos where they needed, needed to be. Wow, no, because because of the situation, NHS funded all my IVF. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and well, one, because of my age. So I think everyone in this area gets one free go anyway if you're under a certain age and mm-hmm. heterosexual. I don't think you do if you're on the same sex. I think they're starting to change that. Um, it's crazy yeah. that's not. But yeah, that's a whole other thing. Um, so yeah, no, we actually didn't have to pay for the IVF and the storage. So storage of our embryos for 10 years, that's all, that was all funded. Wow. Uh, we were lucky. Um, it was just paying for like the medication, um, like I said, the blood tests. But yeah, with surrogacy, although Becky, our friend, she was like, I don't want any money. You legally have to cover their expenses. You're not yeah. allowed to them you have to cover their expenses um so we've done that so that is one of the biggest burdens with service uk but obviously bless you bless you baby <laughs> bless you. obviously if you go through service uk the you you put in the amount you're willing to cover or like the amount you're willing to um cover someone's expenses so you'd only ever get a surrogate within your price range that you can afford but some surrogate um, expenses are so much money. Whereas obviously Becky didn't need many expenses. Her children were at school. Um, yes. She didn't need child cover. Um, so we were very lucky the expenses were quite low. Yeah. Considering. That's good. Once everything was kind of sorted on paper, mm-hmm. um, was Becky able to 
have the um well have an embryo or embryos um mm. transferred just in a natural menstrual cycle for her or was it medicated no so obviously every IVF situation I know is always medicated because there's normally a reason why they have an IVF so when we went up and they checked her line and everything they were oh yeah she's good to go I was like oh and they were like she needs no medication I was like no no give her the medication they were like yeah she shouldn't need it and I kept phoning them up I was like can we give her medication they were like she shouldn't need it I was like are you sure because <laughs> like I don't want to waste one of these four embryos because you haven't given her the medication um so yeah she'd done um a test to see if she was ovulating yeah um so yeah that morning I picked her up it was such a hot day I can remember picking her up and being like you're right she was like yeah I was like okay <laughs> and then I, I wouldn't allowed in whilst it was being I wanted to be oh, there yeah uh, they were implanting so I knew they just squidge it up but she was so good she recorded it whilst it was being done not obviously so I could see but just so I could hear yeah um, so yeah they just popped it on in there she came out and I was like feel pregnant yet <laughs> like, no. um, so I I imagine you know just sort of with what I know of how the cycle works they would just be waiting for her to yeah naturally ovulate which would mean that then her body is ready to accept an embryo and actually yeah. whether it's hers or someone else's the body doesn't know the difference right it's just uh the same so yeah. I guess the only stipulation is that she doesn't accidentally get herself pregnant so she's yeah. not able, she wouldn't have been able to have sex for that cycle right yeah yeah so yeah, yeah they had to avoid sex bless them we were like thanks and I was like definitely don't have sex <laughs> they were like, you. No. Just, they were like did we then they like they were getting panicky they're like oh my god imagine if we accidentally did and just didn't realize or like we forgot and I was like oh my god don't I was like they're like well you're having it anyway even if it's us they're like we don't want another one <laughs> so yeah oh, no. yeah wow no. so that must have been a pretty anxious wait um, and you did oh. just go for the one embryo did you so what um so they, I think now this is what they said to us anyway they said they tend to put I think when you've got less embryos they tend to only put one in because I think results of um studies have shown that if they put more than one in and one is stronger than the other that other one will almost stop the strong one will almost stop the weaker one working. Whereas if the weaker one was on its own, it would work. That's what they said to us. Whether that's making me feel better or not, I don't know. But yeah, so they just put the one in and um, yeah, you worked. Wow. That must've been <laughs> a really like a nervous wait. So yeah. what, what happened with, I mean, I imagine it wasn't the situation that you had always expected for yourself in terms of finding out you were having a baby. But no. what was that moment like? Were you together when she did the test or did she just phone you? How how was that? Um, so it's a two-week wait. We did do it on day 11 because they were flying to Cyprus for a wedding. So she was like, well, we always want, I always want to be there when she done it. And Jack, my partner, is so forgetful. He don't know is a two-week wait so I he was living at Bristol at the time so I stayed over hits because she lives just around the corner and he was like where are you going at seven o'clock in the morning and I was like oh Botox get my Botox done that was he was like it's 7 a.m I was like yeah squeezing me in because I didn't want to tell him I wanted it to be a surprise like I wanted it to be like a normal how a normal 
That, that's amazing. I mean, thank one of the few times I bet you're like, thank God you're a forgetful man. Yeah. I was like, thank God. Yeah, because this is not a situation you think there'd be that many surprises with. And actually, yay. So yeah. you just drove over to her house, did you? I drove to her house and I texted her saying I'm on my way. And she just replied with a love heart. I was like, what does that mean? I was like, it's not worked. It's not worked. I was like, and I felt sick driving that. And I got there and the door was open. Now we're ready to go on holiday, like the kids and everything. And she said, what I'll do, I'll wee on it. And she said, I won't look at it. Then she said, actually, I will look at it because she said, I read the instructions and it says it can change. So she said, I'll look at it, but I'll put it back in the pack. And when you walk in, she said, I won't make any, I'll just give it to you and like walk away. So I walked in and she just shoved it in my hand and just walked off. Mm-hmm. I've never done a pregnancy test. So I'm looking at it like, all I've done at this time is COVID tests. So I'm like, <sighs> this means I've got COVID. Because <laughs> <laughs> it didn't say pregnant or not pregnant. It was like the lines. Yeah. Kind of what it is now and but I was like and I looked up and she's like you're having a baby I was like oh my gosh and then her and her husband are crying I'm crying oh it's just so they're congratulating me like one of Jack's best friends knows and he doesn't even know (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh but that must have felt so good to have all the like the love and the congratulations coming your way you know it was it was lush and like the kids they were so happy like they were like yay so they they were in the know where they they knew what was going on oh they knew what was going on obviously we didn't want to tell so none of our friends and family knew we were even starting the process so we were like we didn't want anyone to know until 12 weeks so we were like everyone's got to keep so all Becky and Jay well I don't know if Jay's family knew but all Becky's family knew because they were on holiday and obviously she couldn't drink then she was getting morning sickness she had quite bad morning sickness um so we were like because her family know my partner's family Mm. that's like obviously like if they see them in the street they can't say anything um that's a lot of people to rely on keeping their mouth shut Oh, they were amazing, oh. honestly. I knew my family wouldn't find out because my family's in Bath, so and they're all Bristol, so I knew there was no way my family would find mm. out. But yeah, so yeah, I found out that morning, then I didn't see Jack for three days after that. So I knew them on my own with just Becky for three days. But oh gave, my God. <laughs> I know, and I was just sat in my car. because Where do you hide it? Because at that point, I was living at my parents because we were renovating our house. So I was like, where do I hide this pregnancy test? So I just hid it in my car. Because I was like, well, no one really goes in my car. It's just me. So every now and then, I'll just go sit in my car and stare at this pregnancy test. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> but it was cute. So it gave me a chance. So I ordered a baby grow saying you're going to be a dad. And then... Yeah, I when Jack was working at our house here, he was actually in the baby's nursery, which Aww. was the baby's nursery now. And I just put a box on the side. I was like, oh, I've got some of those lick pink samples upstairs. I was like, can you go see if you like them? And I put my phone up there and recorded it. And he was like, what? He's like, she's not actually pregnant. He's like, just maybe pregnant. I was like, no, she's not maybe pregnant. <laughs> she's actually pregnant. There's no maybe. He's like, <laughs> he's like no. He's like, really? And for about an hour, he just sat in sh- like complete shock. I was yeah. like, I was like, are you okay? He was like, he's like, I just didn't think it's gonna work. I was like, I know. I was like, we prepared ourselves for like three years. F- for I prepared myself to have a 
egg donor like yeah. I was like I'll never have my own biological child so we were just like we just yeah we were just like it's not gonna work like it won't yeah. work so so yeah it took us a long time it was weird wow how do you find that balance in that first kind of trimester when everything is like pretty it's well it's gross um yeah to kind of be we, I imagine you wanted to check in and you know check everything was well yeah and also just make sure that she was okay but also not kind of constantly be like tell me everything all the time yeah <laughs> it, it is hard because yeah like I said she's a busy woman she's got her own family and like her her life isn't just about the pregnancy like my pregnancy you know so I was just like I would check like when they were on holiday I just tried to not message her at all because I was like they're on holiday I don't want to pester her but she was pretty good she'd done another pregnancy test at the actual two-week mark because we'd done it early and I was like why does it look faint though because the first one was so strong and she's like it's just a different pregnancy test like don't panic I was like okay and then she would be like texting me about sickness and then she would I just I more waited for her to text me I really tried to not be that annoying person now and then I'd be like am I mental am I is it crazy that I think something bad starts happen she's like no she said it's very normal she said it is normal and was she we, we you know you and her and her family were you receiving any kind of ongoing support from the charity in terms of what it, to expect from the process it was there for us and I had a support worker but really we didn't need it we we are both such like I think we're just people who are like, right, this is it. This is what we've got to do. That's it. Like, let's just get on with it. And Becky's, she's exactly the same. Like, everyone's like, is Becky okay? And she, she might hide it from me more than she would her friends. But she, she is someone who just deals with things. She, like, she even says that about herself. She's like, I just, she's like, I just get on with it. It is what it is. And yeah. she's just, she's incredible. And so how did the pregnancy go generally then? And were you, how involved were you in terms of things like scans and appointments? Yeah. Um, so pregnancy, I mean, I'm going to say it was great. <laughs> Becky, Becky will say different. Uh, first trimester, obviously, she was quite ill, uh, quite sick. Second trimester, she was fine. And in terms of scans, I went, I went to every single appointment we'd done. I just treated it like as if I was pregnant. I would be there. So I was just there for everything um which was really nice actually like and like her daughter came to like when we listened to like the heartbeat it's something like the midwife appointment so they like that I booked a private um 4d scan and her children come to that as well which is really sweet I want them to feel involved I want them like this is a big thing for them so I was like I want them to be involved as much as they wanted to be as well so that was quite nice yeah and just so lovely as well that you know young children are being educated really early about loads of different types of family situations and this is like how some this is how some families are made and that's yeah. totally normal and imagine then their friends kind of know a little bit about it from school yeah. maybe yeah um, definitely. like they love him as well yeah yeah like, they're so they're such lovely children in terms of coming together to decide on like a birth plan Mm. that must have been a funny conversation I mean obviously it is the physical birth process is Mm. going to be Becky's 
process yeah um but did you come together to have any discussions about how you both saw that going so you kind of have to do that right at the beginning when you're doing Sarah Augusta UK kind of like a rough like would you want like to Becky would you want the intended parents there and she was like yeah that because some people just want the mum there and not the dad and she's oh. like no she's like I want them both there um which Jack was very much like no he's like I won't be in the room because it's not fair for you um like Becky and she was like Jack I don't care he's like well, I'll just sit up by your head then but he's like if you ever change your mind he's like he's like I don't care Becky's just like whatever happens in the room stays in the room yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely I think she's earned the right for a bit of uh privacy yeah yeah <laughs> just a bit <laughs> <laughs> were you planning to be at hospital or birth center and and I don't know what her previous birth experiences were but did that have a bearing on what you'd kind of planned yeah so I think um so both her births they were very straightforward and um, they came quite quickly. So, and they both came like a few days early. They were both like 39 weeks plus two days or something or plus five days. So we just assumed, you know, you just think, oh, it will be the same. When we were speaking, I was like, oh, if you can, could we have a water breath? Because she had a water breath for her son. And she's like, oh yeah, I would love that. Like, it was so nice. Because there were so many of us in the room, it was a bit like, it'd probably just easier just on the bed. So yeah, we didn't end up having a water birth. But yeah, that was one of the plans. And I was thinking like about getting him the water with her and help delivering him. And then like the midwife was a bit like, it's a bit messy. Like you probably wouldn't want to. I was like, well. Well, they quite often invite dads in. So yeah. But yeah, we didn't have it. And I don't feel like, it mattered now Um, but in my head I was like oh yeah I like that um so yeah no we were were really chilled about the birth plan we wasn't like right let's do this I was just like Becky whatever you want yeah and I suppose the only thing that you've ultimately decided on is that you and your partner are going to be there and you're going to see him born so however that comes so did did Becky go into labour on her own and just ring you and say I'm in labour or what happened? So because of IVF babies, there's higher risks of complications at the end. My gynecologist who diagnosed me with cancer, she was Becky's um, person, her doctor throughout at the IUH. Um, so when she found out, obviously she was my surrogate, she was just like, oh, right. She's like, you're having the best treatment. Like, we make sure everything's covered. So she was like, let's try and get Becky to have the baby a bit early um, just to avoid any of these complications. So she basically said, let's get, let's start Becky having like stretch and sweeps at uh, 38 weeks. So we started doing stretch and sweeps, which Becky then at this point, I think she was getting frustrated because I think we just assumed it was going to just work. They just didn't work. So, uh, yeah, I know that the kind of standard guidelines sort of state 39 weeks-ish for an IVF pregnancy. They like to start encouraging things. Yeah. So if the stretch and sweeps didn't work, did they then talk to you about the next options for kind of jigging things along a bit? So they said to Becky about induction, but Becky was a little bit cautious because she just didn't want to have to have a C-section because with her too, she didn't. And she's like, if I can like avoid it, she's like, 
I want to. So I was like, it's your call. Like we wasn't stressed, just we trust her to do. She's like, if the baby's in in danger, I'll have a C-section, which I don't want to. So we were just like, yeah, you do you. Um, So she had a stretch and sweep on his due date, but her blood pressure was high. So like, they were like, you need to go in to hospital because they need to test her for, is it preeclampsia? Yeah, I think rising blood pressure is something to just always get checked out because it can be an indicator of preeclampsia, yeah. Yeah. They were like, right, both go home, pack your bags. And I'm like, pack my bags? I was like, what? They were like, well, you probably won't come out. I was like, I haven't washed my hair. I was like, I need to my hair. I was like, I'm not ready. So I come back and I'm like, Jack, I was like, I think I'm the baby. I was like, we're going, we're going into hospital. And they said, like, pack your bags. Like, obviously my bag was packed. Just put it in the car. I drove me and Becky to hospital. And we said to the men, don't bother coming in yet. Because it's probably just going to be like, check in, load of tests, basically. So we get in and they like, put all the stuff around the belly. And we're there, we're there for a few hours. And they're just checking up. And um, they said, yeah, we're going to keep you in. So I text my friend, she's a midwife, and she was working upstairs. She's like, sorted, got her a private room. So she, luckily, Becky had a private room. And they were like, come on up. So they let me go up with her. They were all, they were so amazing about it. They said to me, they're like, you go home, get a good night's sleep, because you need to be fresh for tomorrow. Because they're like, she, she's probably going to be induced now. She, well, she is going to be induced. And I was like, oh. God, I was like, okay, so I obviously haven't eaten all day because the stretch and sweep was at like one o'clock in the afternoon. It's now nine o'clock in the evening. So I come back and I was like, I need a bath. Like I just needed to like relax a little bit. And it sounds crazy, but I was like, Becky was like, she she was a bit stressed, but I was just like, oh God, like just waiting on that phone call then. I just didn't know what to expect. I've got my friend who's a midwife. Like she's looking after Becky texting me and I got Becky texting me. I'm like, oh gosh, just like I just need to sleep. So I tried to sleep that night. Um I think Becky phoned me, said I might be being induced in the middle of the night. So just make sure your phone's on loud. So I was like kind of like awake all night. And then um a few like emergencies came in. So it didn't happen. So I got ready, went in, got there for about nine o'clock in the morning, like took a load of snacks and magazines and stuff. And then she gets lunch, obviously because she's a patient, whereas I got nothing until he was born. I'm just irrelevant. So I ordered an itsu. I was like, oh, yes. So it turned up and I was like, that's tuck into it. And they're like, right, come then, we're taking you down now. I was like, I want to eat my food but it's like I spent like two days not eating and I'm really not very good if I'm hungry so I was like okay they're like you bring your food with you I was like okay so they're like right we're gonna break her waters so they broke them and with Becky's children I think within like an hour of her waters being broke both her children were born so we were like no the men aren't here like and the nurse was like the midwife was like honestly it's fine like we're gonna break them so they broke them they like go to the cafe jack and jay so my boyfriend and her husband turn up they so we all went to the cafe and they're like if nothing's happened in two hours it means it hasn't worked so we were like anything becky she was like no (laughs) we were like oh so then they put her on the drip which then brought on her contractions and within like 10 minutes of that she was getting full on contractions I was like oh god because they show on like the little like monitor thing like the contraction of the height of the number and I was like oh, yeah 
And I imagine she's not experienced that before either. So it's new for her, I guess. Yes. She was like, this is all like, she's always just naturally gone into labor. And then you think you got two guys there, best friends, grown up together, messing around. I'm like, can you two just go off a bit, please? Like, <laughs> and Becky's like, right, I've had enough. I'm like, she'll tell my partner Jack off because, like, she went to school with him. So she's like, hey, shut up now. It was quite funny, actually. But then the <laughs> midwife was like, right, I promise you, they ever will come into their own when it really matters. And I was like, I still want them messing around right until the end. And then, like, Jay was like, by Becky's side. And me and Jack were just sat there, like, in silence, just letting them do their thing because you know he's her support so yeah that was a crazy moment actually when like we were like oh my god it's actually happening now mm. like the full-on contractions and when when they when you just kind of go into like into labor and when I say into like the really kind of <laughs> you stop having a bit of a laugh with everyone and you just that must have been quite a shift of vibe in the room oh absolutely it was like but one minute it was all like, oh, like, let's take a selfie. Let's do like, oh, and then like me and Jack took like the baby's comforter and we were like, had it on us. We used to never even had that comforter, but you know, you do all that, don't you? You're like, <laughs> you well, we want, it, want him to smell us. Um, obviously at this point as well, we didn't even know he was a boy. We were like, the baby. I was going to ask, had you mm. decided to find out or was that something about the process that you wanted to be a surprise? We always said we wanted a surprise. And then when we found out, about surrogacy I said Jack I want to find out and he was like no he's like we said we would always have a surprise I was like no you're right so then no we stuck with a surprise so yeah yeah, at this point we still were like what is it like we still don't know um so yeah then it got proper serious oh it was really emotional actually like I'm not really an emotional person but to see someone in that much pain and just being so incredible I just couldn't stop crying and then I felt guilty because I was like why am I crying like she's in pain here and I'm there like sobbing in the corner and then Jack was he was quite emotional actually he's not emotional either so we just sat there like just heads down really because you feel guilty because someone someone's doing this and it's for you I can say it now because everyone's okay but all that's running through my head is I hope Becky's okay like I hope nothing happens Mm. because I would never forgive myself that that was such a big thing for me and like you know nurses now they start speaking about things and I was like is everything okay and they're like yeah and I was like well now there's like seven of you in the room so why is there so many of you and how did you find the medical staff in terms of you and your partner being the intended parents did they speak to all of you kind of as a team or did you find did you ever feel sidelined now and then not not on the day of the birth everyone's incredible on the day of the birth um a few appointments leading up like when we wasn't with our midwife our midwife was incredible of us and she would always say like she would direct it to both of us so like when it was a question about what was gonna happen with pregnancy that was Becky when it was about the baby that was my decision like for after um and most people got it right but now and then like I can remember being at one appointment she literally just she she was like sorry who are you I was like I'm the mum 
<laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we had, but it wasn't, it, it was better, like 90% good. Okay, so, that's good. That's good. Yeah, we, we were really lucky with mm. that. Um, but yeah, on the day of the birth, they were incredible with us. Like we didn't, we weren't made to feel, other than noggin food, but we weren't made to feel um, not part of it at all. How did labour progress then once it started to get really intense and like, okay, yeah, this is really happening. Mm. We're not having, we're not having a selfie laugh anymore. Like this yeah, is, yeah. this is real. Um, what happened from there? My dream was to help deliver him. So the midwife said, Cassie, you need to get your gloves on now. I was like, now? I was like, oh, you know, like, I don't know about you, but I always get a nervous wee. I'm like, I need a wee. She's like, right, quickly go wee. I was like, okay. I was like, wee and like trying to rush. And it was just like, so slow. I was like, oh my God. I was like, why am I wee so that slow? feeling of like trying to push a wee out really quickly. Because you're like, come on. I know. And I didn't really need a wee. It was just a nervous wee. So I come back out and I'm getting my gloves on and the head is just there. And I was like, ah. Oh. Wow. And Jack's like taking photos because I said, can you please get photos of the moment just like so I can look back one day? Like, this is one of the rare times, like, as a mum, I got to deliver my own baby. Like, what? how, you how say amazing. That? Yeah. And like, actually see him come out. It was insane. So, yeah, like, the, although the midwife was like, right, go on then. I was like, oh, no. I was like, I kind of just want to put my hands around your hands. Like, I just was so worried I was going to hurt the baby. Like, I'm not, never really held young babies so I was a bit like I was very nervous about the whole situation um and I didn't want to hurt Becky so yeah we kind of me and this midwife done it together then I was just like then he came out I I, I feel a bit bad but I don't really know what Becky was doing that at that point mm-hmm. I was just then well, focused on baby your, yeah. your, your vision goes solely this is my actual baby yeah being which, born yeah and I'm like completely forgot I didn't know that he was a boy Uh, and I was just looking at his face and they were like Cassie do you want to know what you've got and I was like oh my god I hadn't even looked and I was like oh it's a little boy (laughs) it's like in that moment it just people ask you all the time what do you know what you're having what do you what would you like you know and actually it just goes to show the amount of people that completely forget to look it's like just doesn't matter they just come That's out and they are just like oh my god you're here. I was looking at his face and I was like oh I can see what it is down there <laughs> I can see <laughs> oh, that's amazing so then was he able to come like straight to you then yeah so that was in our birth plan so me to have skin skin first um but they had to rest him on Becky to do something mm-hmm. and then she said I'm not going to touch him I was like no I didn't want it like that I was like you can touch him but I was just like I just wanted that I just didn't want them to go and put him like straight on Becky like I really wanted that skin to skin so we had our skin to skin and he pooed all over me which was delicious yeah it? that's a tough one to get off isn't it that first one looking yeah, <laughs> stuff and then it was the plans then for Jack to have skin to skin but it was all a bit overwhelming yeah. and we were like Becky here you go so Aww. then Becky was like oh and Becky was just sat eating Chris holding the baby like she's a pro you know yeah, <laughs> and I'm that's like, so wonderful that I, I can imagine that it's quite 
when you're thinking about it and you're planning it from a I don't know what's going to happen perspective Mm -hmm. it must be really hard to kind of think well do I want her to be the one that's holding him you know or is it or is it something that I need just to be me and it sounds like in the moment it was just all so like yeah you just knew what to do yeah it was just she how could you not like yeah she was always gonna hold him like was never gonna be like no but I think we just thought we would want some time but I was just like I think I only had him for like five ten minutes I was like here you go I was so chill I was like here you can hold him and she's like do you want me to swaddle him because me and Jack are trying to keep him warm just like shoving towels around him she's like do you want me to I was like yeah you do it (laughs) she just she's she's so maternal and just great with children and babies that she just does it and she didn't yeah. make you feel like she was like oh you don't have a clue what you're doing she just she's just great yeah no it just all felt very and I am someone who I've realized like later in life when I don't really know what I'm doing and I panic I let people take control a bit yeah so like for those 24 hours when we were in hospital I've got Becky and my best friend who's the midwife there and I just let everyone else like kind of take control yeah. of him because I was just like a bit frozen. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've literally gone from working full time up till the week before. So I sleep all night and then all of a sudden I've got this baby who needs yeah. me. And like, like I know everyone's that, but most pregnant people like will start slowing down and you know, they say that they don't sleep as well because when they're pregnant, like, you can't yeah. sleep as well. No, the in- inconsistent sleep, some people say it's sort of a precursor, you know, like your body's yeah. starting to get used to living on less. Yeah. So, yeah, that's quite a shock, isn't it? I was just like, whoa, what? Boom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Becky was fine, but she's, like, running on adrenaline. I'm, I'm, like, quite emotional and I did I think I because it was my birthday two days after he was born and I was like oh I'll be fine like we'll go out for dinner like I'll be fine because I haven't carried him or physically Mm. I'm fine so Becky came around with the kids the day after he was born for them to meet him I was in bed I did not hear them come in and she was fine I I was like exhausted but there's there's the like a big emotional and hormonal shift for you as well, I'm sure. The it, midwife said this to me because they came into the room. They're like, "How are you doing?" And I was like, "I feel really emotional and tired, but I feel like I shouldn't be." They're like, "Don't play it down." They're like, "The emotional roller coaster you've just been on, and he's here now. Yeah. Like he's here. They're like, yeah. this is like relief for you. That's true." They're like, do yeah. not play it down to yourself. I was like, okay. Which made me feel better. It's like, I feel like I wasn't entitled to those feelings. Yeah, I can but- understand that. Yeah. But no, you totally were. I mean, and also all the things that you're about to then embark on, like mm. the all the emotions that come with looking after a new baby, keeping it alive, going, you know, all the things that you have to do all day and all night. Yeah. That's no different. Because essentially for the first three four weeks you are just trying to keep them alive aren't you like yeah oh it's pure survival for all of you (laughs) I know and it's like oh my god what do we do so how long did you stay in hospital um and did you all leave at the same time we did have to stay in for the whole night and the next day because Becky had um strep B okay yep can be dangerous to him so he had to be monitored but Becky could have gone, but because of her high blood pressure, she had to be monitored. 
he got discharged before Becky, but we just stayed with them for a bit in their room because my friend, she sorted us out a room next door to each other. Um, And then obviously he was in with us. But then all night I was just like, every time my friend come in to say do the checks don't they, on the baby through the night, I was like, is she okay? And she's like, yeah. And she she's checking that you're okay. She's like, you're all okay. I was like, okay. I was like, I just don't want us to feel like just pushed out now. Yeah, like, you know? thank, thanks, see you later. Yeah, like it wasn't that. But yeah, we left just a little bit before her, but within the hour she had left. And then she was at our house then with the children within like two hours and I was in bed. Wow, that's, yeah. that's what a roller coaster. How did you find kind of that huge? Well, it's like jumping in the deep end more than anything I can ever imagine. Uh, how did you find that first kind of well, two, three months? That's the kind of real, yeah, real initiation into it. I think the first two weeks, obviously, Jack was there and. We, we were loving it we were training like a little holiday it was sunny we were like oh this is great like you would wake up once or twice in the night and yeah it was it was great because like we had only moved into this house three weeks before he was born so we were like like I won't work in so it just all felt like a little holiday so yeah we were actually really enjoying it looking back it was hard but it didn't feel it at the time I didn't really feel that emotional once I was like here and I was just getting on with it. Um, yeah. I think when he was about three, four weeks, I was like going out for like lunch and breakfast with friends. And I was like, oh, and I would get panicky. And everyone kept reassuring me that like, Cass, most people don't go out this early. They're like, stop putting too much pressure on yourself. And how has um, Becky and her family kind of been involved in, in your lives since that point? And do you kind of just keep them regularly updated? So we both say this, and people always go, How's Becky? And people go to her, How's Barnaby? And we're both like, We don't see each other that much. And yeah. not because we're both like, No, this is just our lives before yeah. surrogacy. And we've gone back to that. Um, but like this Sunday, me and Jack are going for a breakfast, and we have said to her, Would you want him for the day? And she was oh, like, fantastic. Oh my God, yes. So yeah, they're going to be, and we're going to do a bit of Christmas shopping. So we're going to let her and the kids and she's like I want to show them off oh, um, that's so lovely because it's that line that you just said then about you know now this is just your lives before surrogacy and I imagine yeah. that that is absolutely the goal right you get back yeah. to your lives before surrogacy but with this huge added extra kind of piece in your family puzzle absolutely and like the respect and the love for Becky and her family will never go now like there's always going to be and like the love they have for him but we both respect each other's time and space you know yeah got like, your own lives yeah absolutely like I think if we were both needy people it would be too much yeah or, it sounds like it was a good match a perfect match yeah Aww. yeah well thank you honestly I can't thank you enough for sharing this story I think it's so Aww. important that like like I said, all different kinds of families have all different kinds of stories. And it's so, so lovely to hear. And I'm sure that there'll be people out there that are listening that either really relate to it or have learned something completely new and maybe can relate to friends or family that are going through the same oh, situation. I think so. Yeah. Um, before we go, I just wanted to ask if there was anything that you found really helpful um, that you would recommend to somebody who maybe is going through the same thing or anything that you just would give advice to kind of your former self you know anything that you would share if I could tell my former self something it'd probably just be 
calm down a little bit. Don't try not to stress too much. But that's easy to say now because I've got him, you know. And it sounds like you would recommend Surrogacy UK. It seems like they've been a good resource for you. Absolutely, yeah. I would definitely recommend them. They're they're there for any questions. Um, Yeah, they're great. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me. You're welcome. I can't thank Cassie enough for sharing her story on the podcast today. We so rarely hear the experiences of parents who use surrogates, particularly those who never expected to have to do so and for whom the option of carrying a child was so suddenly taken away from them. Huge mega thanks also goes to Cassie's surrogate Becky who gave her kind permission for us to share this story with you all too. There are just so many factors that Cassie had to consider in becoming a parent and so many obstacles to navigate and overcome. When I was talking with her, I was just so inspired by her resilience and the love and respect that she has for her surrogate Becky and her whole family too. I'm going to link on my social media to the Surrogacy UK charity that Cassie mentioned a few times, uh, which is who she used during the process, if any of you would like to look more into this or about the work that they do. That's everything for this week. I really hope you liked today's episode. And if you do, or if you know somebody who maybe this has affected or would find this useful, please do share it with a friend. You can rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you use, and you can subscribe or follow just to make sure you are kept up to date with future episodes. If you find the work I do valuable, in any way you can buy me a virtual coffee using the link in my instagram bio which is just a really nice way to say thanks i found this useful and yeah it just really helps me to kind of keep plodding on lastly you can connect with me via social media i'm at real birth podcast on facebook and on instagram that's everything for me i will see you next week with another amazing birth story bye Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.